This is your host, Terry Noland, and this is your community. Come on in, grab a seat, and strap in. Welcome to the podcast this week, friends. We are talking about literacy leaders pull the right levers for change. And the way that I want to go about this episode is thinking about the history of Learning Ally, a national nonprofit, the one that produces this podcast, Learning Ally Literacy Leadership. I think of things in my life that are going on that are pertinent to help me spark ideas about the podcast. And it came to me and it became very apparent and in my awareness that I've never told you the history of Learning Ally. I've never told you where we've come from. I've never told you where we're going. David McCullough is an American historian, and he said, history is who we are and why we are the way we are. So I'm going to take Learning Allies history and maybe help you understand a little bit about where we came from and where we're going, but then apply it to how, as literacy leaders, we've got to know the right levers for change, when we need to change, what we need to change, and what we don't need to change. Because some things don't need to change when it comes to literacy leadership. And some things absolutely do have to change. We've got to change our paradigms about where we have come from and where we are going. So I want to use the story of Learning Ally to help shape that. Now, like I said, Learning Ally is a national nonprofit organization that has impacted millions upon millions of lives. The phrase that I hear so often, Learning Ally changed my life. I've even heard it said this way, Learning Ally saved my life. The numbers of, of students, the number of educators and parents and stakeholders in this journey of literacy. So many people have been impacted by the work, and I want to share that with you. I want to amplify the story of Learning Ally. So often pe people tell us across the country, it's one of the best kept secrets. Learning Ally is the best kept secret. And I'm saying to myself, well, why is it a secret? Why is it a secret? An organization that is impacting millions, it can't be a secret. It has to be more visible in our country. So this impact that we've made, I want to take this opportunity to tell you about Learning Ally, tell you about the history, where we started. And that's where I'm going to start today. In the 1940s, with a woman named Anne McDonald. It was at that moment in time that Anne McDonald looked around and said, I see a need. I see a big need, and I'm going to see what I can do to rally my friends in the Women's Auxiliary Group of the New York Public Library to fill the need, to fill the gap. I mean, she's out there doing market research. Probably didn't even know it at the time in the 1940s. So she and this group of women began to record books, textbooks. But what was the need? The need was they were noticing a number of individuals coming back from World War II who had been blinded in war. They couldn't access their GI Bill. They couldn't access an opportunity to continue their growth, their learning, their development, their journey, fulfilling their purpose and their potential. 
all because they couldn't read the books. So Anne MacDonald and the other women of the auxiliary group began to record textbooks on vinyl phonograph discs. You about have to look that one up to get a picture of it. And this is when the organization Recording for the Blind was born, RFB. Here's the leadership moment I want to pull out from that because it's so important that Ann McDonald saw a need. She rallied people around the need and she filled the need. As literacy leaders, what's the need? All you got to do is go look at your reading scores of your school or your district. And that data is going to tell you the need. What are we going to do to rally the troops? What are we going to do to rally those around us to do something about that need? Aligned to evidence, aligned to the research. And McDonald did it. So can you. One of the quotes that I love from Anne McDonald is she said that reading is a right, not a privilege. And with that mission in mind, that statement in mind, that's what drove her. That's what gave her cause. That's what pushed her forward. Reading is a right, not a privilege. I hear that quote so often, and I don't think many know that it actually came from Anne McDonald, the founder of this great organization that we have today. Let's move forward into the 1950s. In the 1950s, the demand was so great for these recorded audio textbooks by human readers that RFB incorporated as the nation's only nonprofit to record textbooks. And McDonald traveled across the country to establish physical recording studios in seven more cities outside of New York. She was on a mission. Nothing was stopping her because she believed in her mission statement that reading is a right. And if that's the case, nobody's holding me back. Nobody held her back. And so she went around establishing these physical studios with getting volunteers to record books. They're donating their time. They're donating their talent. They're donating their expertise to lend it to something that is forever uh, out there and can be played over and over and over again. She created communities. She was a community developer before the whole idea of community was so great. Like we have at Learning Ally, a Learning Ally educator community. So that was the 1950s. And then we move and fast forward into the 1960s. This is when technology began to advance and moved from those phonograph discs to reel-to-reel tapes, then cassette tapes. And some of you listening today are like, yeah, you're still talking old technology for me. Some of you are saying, yep, I remember. Absolutely. I don't think we knew cassette tapes back then as audiobooks. Far and wide, we knew it as music but audiobooks were being produced back then. And literacy leaders, there's some of you that are out there back at this time in the 60s, 70s, 80s, and probably still today, you yourself have recorded books for some of your students into an audio tape. Press that button, record, click it again to stop. You know what I'm talking about because you saw a need and that's what literacy leaders do. They fill the need. 
In the 1970s, Recording for the Blind continued to open studios across the country. This was a moment that said, we are committed to individuals lending their voice to this process, lending their voice to people that needed the voice because they couldn't access that print. Now, this is something where literacy leaders need to understand something. As we're rallying the troops, as we are getting a movement going to align with evidence-based practices of literacy instruction systems, assessments in our schools, maybe there's some things that don't need to change. What doesn't need to change? What's always going to be important is, is language development. That is the first thing that comes to mind for me, oral language development. Giving students access to content, access to words, that doesn't need to change. How it changes can, can alter. What does need to change is the explicit teaching of phonics, the systematic approach. Maybe what doesn't need to change is the love and care. Well, not maybe, it doesn't need to change. Maybe it does need to get better in some places, but what are those high leverage levers that we can pull for change. Some things don't need to change. At Learning Ally, one thing that doesn't change is the fact that we have human readers narrating our books. Human readers that are reading the textbooks, the novels, the literature, all of the content for students because we understand the power and the importance of the human voice. Dr. Daniel Willingham from the University of Virginia, he has done a lot of work about that human voice, the power, the purpose, the ability to convey emotion within your voice. That doesn't change. That's something that we know has to stay consistent. It's gotta be there. We will not move to a moment that allows for synthetic voice to take over. And of course, in the 1970s, synthetic uh, ability with our recording was just not there as far as the technology goes. But in the year 2023, you better believe it is. But we don't we know we don't need to change that. Let's move on to the 1980s. It was in the 1980s that the recording for the blind headquarters moved to Princeton, New Jersey on Roselle Road. It's a huge building, a beautiful building on this campus that has trees that line the back parking lot and there's wildlife and you see geese and you see deer and it's just a really really great calming place to be but the building is huge it's massive and you know why it was massive is because at that moment in time in the 1980s we had these cassette tapes that had to be mailed out to individuals then they would mail them back and we would repurpose and mail them to somebody else so we had these big racks of cassette tapes for all of these books that were cataloged. Think of going into the dry cleaners and those big rotating racks that have all of the clothes hanging on them. Basically, that's what this space was all about. These huge racks with all of these cassette tapes that would rotate around and I need this particular book and then I would go and, and get it on those rotating racks. That needed to change because technology changed. As literacy leaders, the, the things that need to change, absolutely, how can technology come in and help support me in my classroom just like an audiobook when I've got kids that cannot read at grade level? 
Yes, we need to explicitly teach them how to read. Yes, I need to do that explicit instruction. Absolutely, 100%. But what about when they spend 80% of their day in a classroom where they can't read content? Let's shift our old paradigms of audiobooks are cheating. Get rid of that mindset. As a literacy leader, I have to evolve my thinking in the right areas. Let's fast forward to the 1990s. It was in the 1990s that e-text was provided on computer disk for members to use with adaptive computer equipment. And in fact, this computer equipment that was big and large was still around when I joined the organization in 2005. I remember going into schools with these big devices. Think of a boom box. And, uh, oh my goodness, this is going to be great because you can get books here in about two weeks. It was where we were at the moment. It was where we were, but technology needed to change. It was in 1995 that RFB became RFB and D. So what does the D stand for? The D stands for Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic because it was at this moment that there was a recognition, there was an increased membership of individuals that had learning differences because I have dyslexia, something going on that says I can't access print the way that other students are. And of course, our understanding of that explicit, systematic, structured literacy approach was still evolving at that time. We, we knew that was needed because the research tells us but then programs were still being developed at that time, and there was this huge increased need. For so many years, we were RFBND, Recording for the Blind and Dyslexic. Many of you may remember us from that moment so many years ago. And it was in the 2000s that our membership skyrocketed. More than 75% of our membership came from individuals with learning differences such as dyslexia, all the way from kindergarten to graduate school, as well as working professionals. It was here that technology really sped up and the need for change was consistent. 2002, we released our DAISY CDs on these specialty devices. You had to enter in a code in order to get access to those books. It was in 2007 that we had an all-digital library with our Learning Through Listening Library. And it was at this time in 2007, two years after I joined, started working here out in West Texas, serving schools out in West Texas. And uh, it was here that we launched our website, Learning Through Listening. We're moving at a rapid pace, and I remember at that moment, we still weren't moving fast enough because the demand was so great. And uh, I remember people having all kinds of ideas, and, and my goodness, it takes so long to get here, and, and other entities and business developers were out there, and we were starting to understand how you could get downloads, and music was starting to be done this way. We had to keep up. We had to evolve and change. As literacy leaders, what are we having to evolve and change? What are we shifting our paradigms around? 
And what are we holding true to because the research tells us to hold true, just like our commitment to Human Red. It was in 2008 that we started to have um, what's called WMA downloadables. It allowed titles to be downloaded directly to your computer or portable media players. Now, I remember this moment. It was so exciting to be able to download directly from the internet. But let me tell you about that process. I remember it. Seems like it took something like 17 steps in order to download a book. Now listen, at the time it was great. Well, maybe not so great for some. 17 steps is a lot. But once again, we couldn't rest. We couldn't stop. It was what we knew at the time, it was the technology we had at the time that we had to evolve. We had to keep moving and going and pressing forward. It was in 2009 that we introduced downloadable DAISY files. And here we are, still progressing, still moving. And one thing I want to note here. From the 1940s, when Anne McDonald saw the need and had the vision, here we are in 2009, still only serving students in one way. So in retrospect, that was great. We had an anchor. But where was the leadership that said, can we do more? What else is out there? What is this literacy thing all about anyway? How does giving access to audiobooks tie into literacy development? We still weren't there yet. It seems like there was some missing opportunity. And as literacy leaders in our own schools and districts, sometimes we look back on our history and say, why didn't I see it sooner? And you feel this guilt and shame and how come I didn't recognize? And I always thought that graduating 75% of our students was a great thing. I always thought that if we could just increase our students' uh, reading at proficiency levels and, and that would be great if it was just increase at a percentage or two. And then you look back and say, that wasn't good enough. I missed it. But here as literacy leaders, we also have to grant ourselves the grace. We have to grant ourselves the uh, feelings of guilt and say, L let me wallow in that guilt a minute or two, but let me get over it. We should have done something sooner, but we didn't. So now let me get into the 2010s. And here we are in 2023 and 2010 seems so long ago, yet it seems so close. It was in 2010 that RFBND introduced another type of technology that allowed for digital downloads. It was called Read Here. It was this computer-based program. In 2011, we start to be accessible on Apple, iPhone, iPad, iPod Touch. And it was at that moment then people were screaming about Android devices and what about the other devices? And once again, we had to move at a rapid rate because the demand was so high. It was in 2011 that thankfully we had the forethought to say, listen, it's probably time to change our name. RFBND changed its name to Learning Ally in 2011, 
so that we could be better representative of more services, to serve more individuals, to serve more schools, to serve more educators. And we wanted to become an organization that got bigger. We were getting better in our technology. And in order to get bigger, you got to get better. So we made the move to Learning Ally, which who we are today. It was in 2012 that we introduced this online platform for educators to be able to log in and get books and add students and download books and all of the great things that we are experiencing today. And that continues to evolve and change and updates because once again, we have to be responsive to where we are consistently changing. We also moved, by 2013, we were accessible on Android devices. And it was also in 2013 that we launched one of our newest solutions. I remember this moment because I was a part of it. By that time, I had also moved uh, roles within the organization. And it was that time that I found myself down in Florida, in Key West, actually. I was going to be doing uh, quite a few uh, professional learning sessions for educators, branching out. So much work and preparation had gone into that moment where we were talking about um, how to uh, uh, serve students, how to address students' needs in the classroom. I called the very first morning to Andrew Friedman, the CEO of Learning Ally, who was then and is today, said, today's the day we're launching our professional learning. We haven't looked back. There's always a need for change and growth and development. And it was in 2013 that we started to do that. 2014, we uh, launched new technology for the audiobook, same as in 2015, continuing to grow. It was also in 2015 that we launched our very first Spotlight on Dyslexia virtual conference. We were doing virtual conferences well before they were a thing. And this is a leadership moment I want to pull out. This is seeing down the road, seeing the vision and the future before others see it. That's what we are doing in 2015, well before the virtual conference thing became a thing. Because once again, like Ann McDonald, we saw a need and filled that need. At that time, it was geared towards parents. But we saw this overwhelming need for teachers to learn more about dyslexia, for teachers to understand the research, the brain research behind dyslexia, to understand the strategies, to understand the student development with social-emotional learning and what goes on for students with dyslexia. So that was in 2015. We continued to evolve our technology as we do to this day. Now, some things I want to point out along this journey and along the way. We had bumps. We had bruises. And one of those bumps and bruises that was hard at the time, but we knew it was where we needed to go. It was when we closed all of those studios across the country. Because the technology had advanced so far that we didn't need physical studios anymore. We saw that individuals could record at home. 
all we needed to do was set them up for success with the right, the right environment, the right tools, the right technology, and they were recording books from home. Of course, scanning technologies got better so they could have the PDFs of the books in front of them, being able to record those books. We've mastered that process. Now listen, here's where the bumps and bruises came in. is because it hurt a lot of people in that process. It hurt people that said, wait, this studio is where I go. It's my community. I, I'm not ready to advance in the future. I'm not ready to get on board with technology, and that's okay. But we had to because the needs of our students were growing and the needs of the individuals that we served was getting bigger. So we needed to get better and we needed to get quicker. That's why literacy leaders have to pull those right levers for change. We've got to make sure that we understand that there's going to be bumps and bruises. People are going to get their egos bruised. They're going to get their emotions touched. They're going to get hurt sometimes, but we got to take the people out of the process and remember what we're going after. In my school and in my district, I'm going after 100% of our kids are reading on grade level. That's what I'm after. I'm going to be kind in the process. I'm going to lead in that direction. I'm going to lead along the way, but sometimes there may be some collateral damage. Another thing that has happened throughout the course of the time here is that evolution to be bigger than just audiobooks. That's where we are today. By offering professional learning services, you're interested in learning more about evidence-based practices when it comes to literacy instruction. We've got courses for that. Live, asynchronous, to meet the demands and the need of those that we serve. We're also have understood what Ann McDonald taught us so many years ago, the importance of community. It just looks different today because we have to evolve. Remember, I've got to understand what things do change, what things don't change, and what things get better. We've gotten better at our community creating a space for educators to come to and to feel connected and get to get the learning that they need. We also are consistent in our spotlight on dyslexia event. This year, we'll be moving into our eighth year, bringing prominent individuals to a national stage for you to learn from. The space that we've created there, the energy, the vibe, the connectedness is like none other. We've also uh, have new products with our pre-K to two solution. Understanding that at that age, we've got to work on that oral language development. We got to work on exposure to words. Do those kids need a systematic, explicit instruction in literacy? Absolutely. But let's build up their oral language development, vocabulary, background knowledge. It's all important. So that's where we are today in 2023, and we've got big vision for the future as well. We've got big vision to continue our rich history of serving, 
to continue that rich mission that Anne McDonald started saying that reading is a right, not a privilege. We want that 100%. That's what we're going for. I hope you'll join us in the journey. I hope you are able to take about some, take away some leadership moves and moments and think about how they can apply in your own life when you reflect on the history of who you are, the history of where you've come from, the history of your school, the history of where you are today. Thanks, friends. I'll see you next time. Thank you for going on the journey today. Thank you for being present. Thank you for continuing to grow and learn. If we are going to make an impact on education, create significance in the lives of our students, we need you. If you want to learn more about Learning Ally, visit us at learningally.org and be a part of a transformational community.